Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored by the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I am Anna Nasset, and I am your host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. And today on the show, we have the wonderful Doris Sumner joining us to talk about sexism in the workplace. The show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit community members, victims of crime, survivors, and those who serve them. I want to begin, as always, by offering a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss our healing, our mental health, and our stories. But with that in mind, we occasionally have subject matter that might be triggering. So I always ask people to listen at their own discretion. As I said, I'm delighted to have Doris Sumner here today. Doris and I have been waiting to do this for quite a while and gotten postponed, so I'm so happy to have her here today. We met through mutual friends in the Vermont National Guard. Doris Sumner is the president of Empowering Gender Opportunities. She launched her diversity education and consulting business after retiring from the Army National Guard in March of 2019. Doris spent 36 years in the Army and the last 13 as the Vermont National Guard Equal, Equal Employment and Diversity Manager. She specifically focuses on, focused on gender as a barrier to equality in the military and received national recognition and awards for her work culminating in the Legion of Merit upon her retirement. Doris has worked with lawmakers reporting annually on sexual harassment within the Vermont National Guard. She produced an annual gender report laying out the connection between sex-based defense and representation of women in command positions within the Guard. Doris, thank you so much for your incredible work um, within the Army and the Guard and the just amazing service that you've provided for the people who were in those positions and for our country. It's such a joy to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Anna. And um, just uh, thank you for the work that you do to raise the voices and to have the conversations that are really challenging. So I wanna thank you for um, just inviting me to participate here. Um, I'm really happy to be on your show. Absolutely, we are allies and activists in arms. Um, so thank you for being here today. Can we start off by you just sharing with our guests a little bit more about yourself, your history and how you were drawn to this work? Well, I was thinking about that. You know, I grew up um, as what we used to call a tomboy. I'm glad we don't use that term anymore, but I really liked the boys' toys. You know, I um, played in the sandbox. I climbed trees. Um, I, I took auto mechanics in high school, and then I ended up joining the Army as a truck driver. And um, I, I was taught when I joined the guard in 1986, I was talked out of being a truck driver and kind of channeled into the personal service company, which it was a unit, most mostly women. And what we did back then was we actually carried typewriters out to the units to um, fill out, you know, life insurance forms and do all the paperwork for the guys. And um, so I ended up in personnel as equal employment opportunity manager. So coming from the truck driving, the, you know, the guy's world to this very administrative um, job. And I um, 
after processing a couple of sexual harassment cases, I just realized that I was in this very sexist organization. <laughs> now I had been sexually harassed, but I felt like that's the hand you're dealt with when you join the military. I mean, that's just kind of the culture that, um, that you deal with. But after a couple of cases and recognizing the bias uh, in the responses, I thought this isn't a very fair hand. And being the manager to process these cases, I became very passionate to stop the pain from women warriors who really just wanted a fair chance to get their job done. And um, so I was very, uh, I feel very privileged to end up in the job that I had. And I took it really seriously while I was there. That's awesome. And I, in my mind, I'm going, there's nothing more sexist than your job being to carry the typewriter out to the man. <laughs> like, that just kind of sums it all up right there. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So as we dive into talking about sexism, I think everyone, all of our listeners know what sexism is, sexism is, but can you define it for us and unpack some of the ways it shows up in the workplace and limits females' ability to not only do their job, but also thrive and grow in their career? And I'm speaking kind of generally like within the military, but also within the general workplace. Yeah. Um, well, first I'd like to say that sexism does affect men and women equal, you know, equally it's harming all of us. Um, but directly Thank you for it clarifying affects, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But directly it affects uh, women more because of our historical uh, nature of, you know, we used to be property. I mean, and then we, and then we got the right to vote. And then since then we have been forging this equal, equal status um, is what we've been working on. And so, and I think when people hear the word sexism, uh, they, they think of sex, they think of sexual connotation, sexual harassment, uh, maybe, you know, a guy glaring at a woman's breast or something like this. Um, and those definitely are examples of sexist acts. But to me, Sexism is that status gap between the sexes, between the gender identities and the expectations around um, gender. So if you're a guy, you're supposed to act this way. And if you're, you know, identify as female, then you're supposed to act this way. And so when these expectations come into decision-making and the way that we greet people and the way we engage people, um, sometimes it's very, very hurtful. Uh, so an example is the guy at the office who's always asked, to unload the truck because he's the guy when anybody in the office can carry a case of water or you know a box of paper so um, these sorts of roles they can be hurtful or helpful to one's career but for women because of that um, historical subservient status it has meant a, a long painful journey to gain that equal respect um, even though we have legal protections and you know we can go to court and say I'm not treated fairly, there's still that everyday status gap. Uh, I have not heard from very many women who have not experienced either being sexually harassed or being dismissed um, because of their gender. So sexism in the workplace generally impacts women more negatively <coughs> just based on that um, gender expectation and historical bias against women. Yes, I could not agree more. And I'm going to share a small personal story that relates. Um, before I left Washington, I was the marketing director for this large lumber company. And so I was in like upper management of this company. And 
I sat on the first floor in this huge room with one, two, three, four, five males. And when I took the position, they're like, well, where do you want your desk to be? And I said, I want it to be in the far back corner. And while they didn't know it, that was so that I could surveil and see if the guy that stalked me was going to ever come in. But the other reason I did it was because being a lumber company, most of our customers were male. And being the only female in this main room, I knew that if I sat anywhere up front, everyone would assume I was the secretary. And so I sat in the far back corner because I wasn't. And I can't tell you how many times men would come in the front door, walk past all of the men working on the floor back to me and go, hey, can you get me so-and-so? <laughs> I mean, it happened all the time yeah. and the guys that I worked with were really awesome. And like, it became this running joke that I wasn't the effing secretary, but, um, <laughs> I asked to have a mug with that made on it, which I never got, but you know, so it was yeah. great that I had support of the men on the workplace floor, but that our customers still saw yeah. a female and assumed that was my job. So yeah. that just came to my head as we were talking and I wanted to share that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so shifting, what are some of the ways you are wanting to work? What are some of the ways you're wanting to work with businesses and military to combat sexism? Um, how are you, how are you approaching that with your business? And um, yeah, just yeah. some tips that you su could suggest. Well, the first thing that I wish I had the power is to let everybody know that gender bias is real. Uh, so many people believe that there is no racial bias, that our actions are really sought out. Um, but we all have these brain shortcuts. Um, they're, just, they're just human instinct. And bias is not a bad thing. It's what we do with our bias that can be very bad. So once we acknowledge that we have this bias and the way that we developed it was through, you know, things that we were exposed to and socialized to, we have stereotypes that are kind of entrenched in our behaviors and the way we think about things. Um, and sexist attitudes are too easy to, to be developed because we have such this um, media is like polluted with these rude objectifying images, um, sexist images or videos. So sometimes, you know, we may laugh and repost the repost a funny joke or something, not really pausing to consider that this is about somebody's daughter, this is about somebody's mother, um, this is about a person. And um, pause takes effort and commitment and honesty. And many people say, well, what's wrong with joking around? What's the big deal? We're being too sensitive. You know, who has time to pause? You know, shortcuts work. As human beings, it, when we see a lion, okay, instantly go that's very dangerous and and run for cover but when we see a person the problem with shortcuts is that sometimes we inaccurately judge that person based on just that visual identification so I would love to help people or teams really practice pausing and in pausing through our biases and pausing through some of the entrenched stereotypes that we may have developed and some of them may be very healthy but some of them may not be um, and it's not about being politically correct or too sensitive. This is learning a life skill, which brings us closer to the people we're sharing the planet with or our office space or the warehouse. Um, it really is a skill that children automatically have 
they don't have to pause. They have this unbiased joy when they meet people. Anybody that smiles at them, they smile back. But sadly, um, you know, when they're hurt or they're told things about certain people, they, they start developing these shortcuts and these biases. So the way that I would love to help people, again, is just develop our consciousness about how we engage with people. As oftentimes it's unintentional but it still hurts. It's, it still hurts. And, um, you know, we're all busy people, but it, once we learn the skill, uh, it's, it's a gratifying feeling that you can say to yourself, I'm a very inclusive person. Um, so that's what I would love to work with people to do. I love it. I'm sitting here just like silently listening to you, but wanting to like cheer really loudly right now. Um, cause that really resonates with me and just, um, yeah, I love, I love the pause and I wish that everyone took the time to pause a little bit more. I think that's a really great way of putting it. So thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I have to sit here and quietly listen, but out loud or inwardly I'm cheering and like doing cartwheels right now. <laughs> so switching a little bit, how is sexual harassment different than sexism and what are the ways that you are working to help protect employees and service members against sexual harassment? Well, sexual harassment, you know, sexual with a sexual connotation is so damaging because it really pollutes the air with this disgusting and degrading stink. So um, there is like no excuse or justification to sexually harass someone. I mean, when we say, why, why would he do that? Why, you know, um, there's just no excuse. And it often is intentional harm. It really comes from this very uh, harmful place. But sexism, you know, when I was talking about earlier, this attitude of expectations around gender, sometimes that really is unconsciously, um, we treat men and women different because of the way that we are brought up and our expectations. So we don't think there's anything wrong when we say, you know, that all women gossip or women are too sensitive or why don't you smile or, oh, she's got an attitude. And so we're saying these things based on our expectations of, of feminine or female. And the same with men, oh, all men cheat or all men are, you know, they're not sensitive. They don't talk about their feelings. These are very um, broad sexist attitudes that we have um, based on gender identity. So these, um, these sexist attitudes form our behavior. And sexual harassment is an action to gain control from somebody, to intimidate someone, staring at them sexually to intimidate them or purposely moving close up against them to make them uncomfortable. So how does an employer protect their employees from either of these harmful offenses? You know, how can we eradicate this? And to me, in all of my work and research and studies, leadership is the most important tool in the tool shed. Setting the tone and expectations around how everyone will be treated. So a lot of times I refer this to being the commander of your home. So you determine that in my home, when we come in the door, we take off the shoes because I don't want to sweep up all the dirt. It's or a Vermont my home. <laughs> it's my home. Yeah. Um, or in my home, we don't swear. In my home, we rinse the dishes. You know, so these sort of things, you're taking command of your home. You're, you're being the leader of your home, whether you have children or not. You've kind of set the tone for your environment. And um, 
in in the workplaces and certainly in the military, the leader sets the tone for what people can get away with and what people can't get away with. Um, so that's really important and making it safe, feeling safe, just as you would for your children who, you know, are fighting siblings or fighting, you know, listening to them, validating that they, you know, Tommy punched her or something like that. You validate it and um, actually listening. And so I think a lot of times people take shortcuts and, um, and lack that leadership and say, oh, he was just kidding. Don't worry about it. Um, sometimes people do make mistakes and sometimes offenses are unintentional, but really listening and validating it and making an investment and mending whatever happened is so important. I think that there's just too many shortcuts where we just blow it off and the person walks away from the situation, they were offended, they were hurt, they were sexually harassed, whatever, feeling nothing was accomplished. And that is a lack of leadership. So- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you walk away feeling dismissed. Like, like why, did I even why did I even say anything? You're yeah. overreacting. Um, yeah, I have been there myself had to, having to make a claim in high school actually against a teacher who was sexually harassing me. And, you know, it's, sexual harassment versus sexism, sexual harassment feels so much more predatory. It feels yeah. premeditated. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's that part of it that is controlling. And if we don't have that leadership, then we end up, you know, leaving our jobs or as I did, leaving my school or leaving yeah. the military. It's like, if I'm not going to get the support, why am I here? Yeah. And, and and predators are looking for those sort of environments where they can blend in and they're not gonna be called out. If you are working in a very professional, respectful environment and someone comes in with these sexist attitudes, who's being disrespectful and predatory, they stand out really fast. And if you have strong leadership, they're not gonna last there because we're, you know, the leadership is saying, this is not the environment you can operate in. So you either need to shift your ways of doing things or you need to leave and so yeah. leadership to me is the most important tool in combating sexism at any level whether it's just friends and peers in a small group and they see an inappropriate action and they step in and say that's not okay and stop it right there and support that person or it's a supervisor or a commander uh, setting that tone Absolutely. And it comes back to the pause, like you were saying, like it comes back to not taking the shortcut, having the pause and being either a good bystander, a good ally, a good leader and doing the right thing yeah. for all. Because ultimately it's not doing the right thing for the individual that's been harmed. It's doing the right thing for the entire. Yeah. To set up success for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of your offerings that I was super interested in and kind of segues from this conversation is that you lead facilitated discussions um, on sexism and sexual harassment. And I was really intrigued on how that can work to have a conversation between parties where one has done the harm and one has been harmed. Um, and what if you have a success story or what you feel like the outcome can be for that type of dialogue. Um, yeah. so it really kind of goes into our restorative justice. Um, and I, I really was intrigued by that concept and wanted to hear more. Uh, great. Thank you. Now, so facilitated discussions about very personal stuff is definitely hard. And you would want to um, have people who have a really strong skill set 
and facilitation skills, and obviously set up strong um, boundaries and ground rules and things like that for it to work, and, um, and also voluntary. And it comes back to leadership, whether it's a, whether it's a team or um, a work center, it would, it would have to be voluntary. So nobody should be forced to go and, and participate in these discussions. But if the leadership um, has, a, has a safe working environment, so you feel safe that you could go into this small circle and have these conversations, um, like at the, at the uh, National Guard base, the full-time employees, we started doing these lean-in groups based on Sheryl Sandberg's book um, and her concept about recognizing gender bias and then discussing ways to counteract um, to counteract the affronts. So men and women participated. You know, we had these solid ground rules, okay, and we learned through listening our own personal biases and how they showed up in the work center and how it impacted somebody else. So it was just, you know, random people would come. It wasn't necessarily somebody who hurt somebody, you know, those, those two parties may or may not be there, but um, it became sort of a support group. So people who came every month really were helpful to people who came, who were a little skeptical about opening up and they would give stories about, um, you know, being, being, maybe dismissed based on their gender, okay? And so one example that I had was a woman who shared that, er, that she was the leader. She was the um, person in charge of supplies. But every time she went to supply rooms or people came to her um, main supply uh, room, they would talk to her subordinates that were men and kind of ignore her. And mm -hmm. she, was, she was not having the confidence to say, excuse me, I'm the staff sergeant in charge. And so she was sharing this, a little ashamed about um, not owning her power, but really expressing why she was intimidated. And she got so much support and uh, feedback on ways that she could, um, you know, work on this situation and talk to that guy that kept coming in and dismissing her. And so it was really nice to have her come back and, and just feel great and talk about how she confronted, respectfully confronted the guy, had a great conversation with him, and that the engagements were so much better and she felt empowered. And so that's the sort of conversations, like the guy that was doing it didn't really even realize how it was, you know, chipping away her confidence by him mm -hmm. not speaking directly to her. So he learned something too. And um, yeah, they're difficult conversations, but I think they're still doing them at the guard. And it's, it's just, where else are you gonna go? You know, you go, a lot of times when you're at work and you're, you're offended or you feel dismissed or even sexually, you're being sexually harassed. A lot of times people put that emotional angst in this backpack that they carry and they might share it with their partner. <laughs> Or best friend or their dog, you know, but yeah, you know, where, where does it go? It just kind of hangs aloof. But when you are actually talking to people who work the same place or on the same team, you're building this support system. Like, I didn't even know that you were feeling that way. And it just, it empowers you and it builds synergy in your house, in your, in your team. So I, I, um, I would definitely 
recommend that businesses invest in that because it just really, you know, it seems like, oh, uh, we're going to spend an hour a month going over to these lean in groups. It, there's definitely a lot uh, worth it, you know, to do the work. Awesome. I mean, it makes sense. Like in normal times, obviously we're in a pandemic, so we're not in our offices right now, but yeah. You know, normally, like we spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our families. Yeah. And but yet we're not sharing those pains and those those things that we're trying to overcome, the things that we're trying to gain confidence in to have more power of our own self and our own voice. and And it sounds like a really good hour a month that will not only benefit the individuals, but benefit the business or the base mm -hmm. as a whole and make it so much stronger. And more productive in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely worth the hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, you're working on a bill right now, which is so cool. I personally am very jealous because I really want to work on a bill. It's like this secret longing I have. Of course, our bills are never about good things necessarily. We yeah, want good sadly. outcome. But um, can you share with me about the bill you're working on with the state legislation? And um, just, yeah, share with our listeners what it is and how you're approaching that process. Well, the first thing I want to say is getting a bill passed is really, really hard. Um, yep. it, this bill is H401, and I've been working on it for four years. And um, I'm motivated to pass the bill because I believe that the requirement in the bill where the general of the National Guard um, would have a chief diversity officer will help make the guard safer and more inclusive. Because in the guard, they don't have a, a dedicated diversity officer, but more importantly, uh, the bill requires a report um, on the number of women in command positions. As you said at the beginning, there's a correlation between the representation of people in your organization and the climate. And um, my work as equal opportunity manager, as I said, the first few sexual harassment cases, like 99% of my cases in the Vermont Guard happen to be sexual harassment or gender discrimination. Where across the country, National Guard, sexual harassment is the number one discrimination case. Uh, the second is race relations, okay? And so other states, um, and they have religion, there's, you know, there's different, um, basis for discrimination, but sexual harassment is the number one. And so my studies and my research concluded that sexism was the cause for the underrepresentation of women. Women do not want to join a sexist organization and we can't thrive in a sexist organization. It's not because we're having babies that we have less women in the military. It's not because we don't want to be warriors. And so um, studies, reveal that the military is the most trusted organization in our country. We trust the military more than we trust our government, okay? But yet the military has this long, long, horrid history of high prevalence of sexual harassment and sexual assault. You know, even the esteemed military academies have this history. So the men make up, you know, 84% overall in the Department of Defense, but in the top leadership, and again, leaders set the tone, leaders set the culture, they have failed to keep the military safe from itself. The male majority status, like I said, um, is largely due 
based on those gender expectations. You know, people think, well, the military is a man's job. Um, you know, more men want to be soldiers or Marines or pilots. And it dissuades women from considering, you know, do I want to be in the military? So that's really what I want to change. And women who do join and experience sexism are not recruiting their sisters. Okay. And the problem is that there is no safe way to report that you feel somebody's sexually harassing you or somebody's treating you disrespectfully based on gender without receiving reprisal. You know, again, those shortcuts, oh, he's just joking, he doesn't really mean it, and discounting it and not really hearing your fear, your intimidation, um, your confidence cracking away. So the diversity officer in the bill who's hired by the governor would provide this clear picture of the climate that women really are experiencing um, and men, okay? But it would, it would provide that unabashed picture of the climate and hold the general accountable to the strategies that the general's employing, the general's in charge and they're employing these diversity strategies, but they're not working because we continue to have um, these offenses. So I'm, I'm confident that the bill could improve the guard for all men and women, and we'd have more people lining up at the recruiting station if they felt it was a safe place with strong leadership to keep them safe. Awesome. I say yes to your bill. I say very much yes. And yes, um, I really hope that that gets passed and let me know how I can help you. Um, Thank you. We'll talk about that later, but- um, Okay. Yeah, so I do, within your bill, I do want to switch focus to a very recent tragedy that we've seen in the news, and that was the murder of Army Specialist Vanessa Guillian. I believe I'm saying her last name right. I might Guillen not is be. Guillen is the way Guillen. I've been hearing it, Guillen. So Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen. Um, for those of you who don't know, can can you share a little bit about her case? Um, she, she, you know, had made some sexual harassment reports yeah. Months later, ended up missing for several months um, and then was found murdered. Um, and it's just a tragic, tragic yeah. story. And so can you just share a little bit about this case and her reports of sexual harassment that probably didn't get handled appropriately? Well, I can say that her family really is what brought the case to national attention. We might not have never heard this, but they demanded attention. Um, yes. They loved you know, they love Vanessa so much and they were just not gonna allow um, her missing to be ignored. And they really felt that the Army Criminal Investigation Division was slow to look for her. So they were just, you know, infuriated with Fort Hood and going to the microphones. And one of the things the sister said that really caught the attention of female veterans was that she was being sexually harassed and she wasn't being taken she, she didn't feel safe in reporting it. That was the thing, so she didn't feel safe. And so her sister was, um, you know, so upset that she was on, you know, United States soil and a great big, huge uh, army base and not feel safe, not feel safe with brothers and sisters who have taken an oath to protect our country and live the army values. And to, um, she just could not understand her sister saying that she didn't feel safe. So after, um, after this announcement, hundreds of female soldiers, you know, got onto the social media and started sharing their experience of not feeling safe, harassment and assault under the I am Vanessa Guillen hashtag. 
And in 2017, when Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement, a, a lot of female veterans didn't come out. Um, that was Hollywood, you know, that was corporate. And it's really hard for veteran, female veterans to, to talk about the shame of their incident because they love the military. So it's really hard to talk about something that brings stain to something you love. It's very, very hard. But when Vanessa's sister was saying she was afraid to report, they could connect with that. And uh, many of the testimonies under that hashtag presented a similar pattern. The harassment was reported up the chain of command and the victims faced retaliation or further victimization. That was the pattern. That is why uh, on, on July 29th, they're gonna be marching, I believe in DC for I am Vanessa Guillenville, which is asking for the same thing that we're seeking here in Vermont, a safe way to report and prevent reprisal and harm. That's how we are going to eradicate and I use combat sexism. The military needs to be what right looks like because the military sets the tone of our nation. It institutionalizes yes. our values. So if the military has had these decades of reports saying it's a very sexist organization, how can America get better? I mean, so um, the military needs to be what right looks like because all human beings that raise their right hand and say, I'm willing to defend this country should be treated equally and feel safe, feel safe yes. in the military. Yes, preach Doris, preach. Yes. Um, so I think you've kind of answered this, but like, how do you see a future so that Vanessa would not just still be alive, but would also have been supported in her claims and be able to still serve in the military? Um, what do you envision? And it sounds like this bill here in the state and, and the bill, the more national bill really could help that. But what do you like dream into dream into the future for female and yes. uh, female identifying military members. Well, it reminds me one time I was on a plane sitting next to a captain in active duty army and she had branched infantry. And I, so I was just like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I'm sitting next to this female infantry officer. So I start telling her about my dream. And my dream is that the military, uh, the, the representation of people in the military matches completely with the representation of the citizens of the United States. It should not be male majority. Um, you know, it's like, it would just be such a different military. Again, the culture would be very different if um, we had representation from everybody that we're protecting. And she was like, you want to change the world? And I was like, yeah, I pretty yeah. much do. I don't see so that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so, whatever. You know, Every, every, if everybody does a little bit, um, things will change, but that's how I see our military um, being, and it's hard, like I said, because the military, you know, we consider the U.S. military has been very successful and the greatest fighting force in the world, but it would certainly look very different um, if we went back, you know, 200 years and women and men were both joining the military at the same time the teams, the strategies, um, the way that we engage other countries would look very different if women were incorporated into the master planning of defending our freedom 
right from the beginning. So that's my dream is that our military becomes not this male guys thing. It's, it's an American thing that men and women both want to join and they get in there and they do have, and that's why men, um, really love the military. It is that camaraderie. It's that brotherhood. It's knowing he's got your back, you know, and, and women, and, and again, many soldiers and service members do experience that, but there's too many that don't. There's too yeah. many that are fearful. And so that's my dream is really to have a militia that looks like America and, um, and people, people do experience the, the great things that the military can offer. That's awesome. I love that dream. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I do want to apologize to if people are viewing this. I'm sorry that my screen has gone very dark. I don't know what's happened with the light outside. So I just wanted to acknowledge and apologize for that. Um, well, Doris, it's just been so awesome to have you on here. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. This has been one of my favorite interviews that I've had on here. Um, and as we're winding down, is there anything else that you'd like to share on this episode today? Well, I, I would like to thank anybody listening um, because you're investing in listening and you know just opening up your hearts to how you can help the survivors, uh, regardless, regardless where on the spectrum of harm you experience sexism sex-based offenses or crimes, they cut deep and they really last forever. Um, there's a lot of recovery work that goes, um, that goes into healing that sort of pain, that sort of pain that's inflicted upon you. Um, they impact everyone in a different way. So I, I do wanna thank the many women who have trusted me with their pain, you know, and there have been women who have shared with me these really harmful things that happened to them and the humiliation of trying to get um, to be made whole and to heal. So I, I want to thank them. That's why I fight so hard. Um, I, I believe the military should be what it looks like. I care about the civilian world too, right? I know it happens everywhere. And um, I just want the military to model what we can be as a country of treating human beings based on their, their insides instead of, you know, that visual judgment um she's female he's male you know just just those shortcuts uh can cause a lot of problems so um thank you to everybody who's listening and um for the women who have shared their pain with me i i'm gonna fight as hard as i can to make the world a better place awesome and you're doing it every day so thank you for all that you do to create a better and safer society it's awesome um, Doris Sumner, it's been a joy having you here today. I can't wait till we get to get together in person. Um, yeah, let's do another hike. Was, yes, exactly. Um, we that was where we I think we maybe met briefly before, but we met at a friend's retirement party with an all female yep. women empowering women Wonder right. Woman hike, and it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> there's something uh, about a bunch of women together. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. especially when you put us all in Wonder Women t-shirts. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you would like to learn more about Doris's work or have trainings done by her, you can go to itsallaboutego.com and you can learn more about Doris and everything she does. Um, I always like to close with just a short positive, like one sentence message that maybe you'd like to share with our listeners um, just to kind of empower them for the week. Mm. 
Uh, own your power. Own your power. Love it. Own your power. I'm going to go do that. Um, I'm going to go do that right now. Uh, that does it for this week, my friends. Thank you again, Doris, for joining us. Um, as always, if you have any questions or ideas about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at Anna at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nassett, uh, signing off for this week and another episode of The Mend. Be well, be strong, and goodbye. <laughs>